The Seeking Pathways podcast is a series of interviews with artists, curators, musicians, and activists. It focuses on the subject stories of overcoming barriers in the world of art while finding their artistic voice in the process. This series is presented by the 22nd edition of the Art Matters Festival. This interview is with Joyce Juma. She is a video artist based in Montreal and was also the exhibition coordinator for the 21st edition of the Art Matters Festival. We discuss her perspectives in video arts and curation, exploring how these two disciplines intersect. You can find her on Instagram at Joyce Juma. So the overall theme of the short interviews is about overcoming barriers in the world of art. The questions are in the style of a life story interview, prompting reflection on the connections between lived experiences and the development of a unique artistic practice. So we can start with the first question here, which is, can you share an early memory of making a piece of artwork, perhaps something from childhood that you have fond memories of? Uh, yes, thank you uh, also so much for having me and um, congratulations on kicking off the this edition of Art Matters, which uh, has been, I mean, is always uh, dear to, to, to my heart by all means. Um, so I could share, yeah, I could share an early memory of making a, a piece uh which I, which not a lot of people know of even though it has been exhibited but i remember that in uh, in 2016 2017 there has been the um the muslim ban in the united states when trump took over and i was very um i mean coming from a majority muslim country um i felt like uh, a lot of friends around me who had also left to go study abroad were um, affected by uh, this ban. And of course, we can include so many other communities and uh, types of people, um, families, workers, etc. And so I decided that I, I, it came to me the idea of making a series of um, six um, frames that would include uh, six passports um, from the countries that were banned and instead of having the frame be the glass that covers the photo it was a fence so you would see the frame and the frame would be covered by a fence that is half open um, kind of this half opening suggesting um, maybe an alternative reading of the ban um, where these uh, people kind of overwin uh, Trump. And I called it papyrophobia, um, while also uh, manipulating the color of these passports, making them be so colorful. And the idea behind making them colorful is to kind of mock that decision um, and the fact that it's also called papyrophobia, I was suggesting that the main fear comes from seeing that passport and feeling repulsed by it. And so my idea was like, oh, what if we make it colorful? What, what if we make these um, passports look colorful? Would they be less scary um, in that sense? Um, and would that kind of affect the, the decision around it? Um, because there was indeed this um, whole, uh, how can I say, uh, wave of uh, refusing or cancelling people based on their papers. 
Um, and it's such a reductive uh, way of treating human beings, you know, like you just judge people based on the papers that they have and what these papers um, tell you. Um, so yeah, this is why it was uh, called papyrophobia. And it was done the way it was done. It was exhibit. This, this this was actually the first time I had made a work, and the first time I got to exhibit it. I was kind of lucky to exhibit a first work because not all emerging artists get to exhibit a first work of theirs. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's so wonderful. I have so many questions popping into my head. Um, but first, um, to me, it's it's striking that you you have paper sort of as at the center of this project because of course paper is something central to artists as well visual artists it's where we start our journey is like on paper so this reappropriation of of paper is, is so fascinating and my question like a little follow-up question would be um which passports did you use sort of were they invented passports or were they real passports um where did they come from uh, I, I actually went over the internet um, and kind of collected, uh, you know, just like a random scan of the cover of a passport. Right. So I had Sudan, I had, um, I, I had, so I had Sudan, I had Syria, I had Iraq, um, and I had two others that I can't remember what they were. I think I had Palestine. And there must be Lebanon was actually, funnily enough, not part of these um, countries. But yeah, I had a fifth uh, country that I can't remember. There were there were I think thirteen country on the countries on the list. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you just said. The idea that uh, a beginning is also tied to um, the papers that you hold as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And again, very, very fortunate that you got to um, exhibit sort of a first artwork. And can I ask sort of like, um, like where you sort of were, like you said, this is sort of like a first artwork. So mm. like, what, where were you sort of like in your life, if I can ask when you were making yeah. that, like what stage? Yes, so I had, it was my first, uh, I mean, going, I was going into my second year coming uh, to uh, Concordia slash Montreal. Uh, and if I go back a little bit, I finished school in Lebanon. And in my last two, three years at school, I was starting to be involved in some uh, cultural work, um, with, like with cultural institutions, uh, working on projects in Lebanon. And I knew that I wanted to come study in Montreal or pursue my studies here. And yeah, I had just, I mean, I was, I had this, huge exposure coming from Lebanon to a specific type of art um, that, you know, is exclusive to the area and the topics and the artists uh, who are there. And I had just arrived to Montreal, so I was still kind of navigating this, um, I don't want to say shock because I don't think it, it was a shock, but this, uh, you know, hyper exposure again um i was already seeing a lot of things in lebanon like going to a lot of exhibitions and then i come here and it's an international metropolitan city um so and i i don't know i mean it's kind of sometimes interesting to look at the first work because you know there's also a lot of comfort in in me going towards this topic as someone who had just arrived and i wanted to kind of have something a work that would define me as an arab artist so i went for this um i mean i still work on topics that um 
are very much related to Lebanon, but I'm not sure how I feel right now about, um, you know, being so attached to this concept of identity politics and like defining my practice based on it. Um, I wanted now to be a little bit more for it to come like more organic, this idea of, oh, her background is Lebanese and she does work about this. I don't think it's like now the first thing that I want to present when it comes to presenting my work or my practice. I don't know if I'm not, if I'm succeeding, it, it still need, it needs a lot of work. Right. Well, it seems to me like um, it was sort of the start of a new path for you. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. And it, it's funny when we look back at the start, because there's things that are like important and like that are still relevant and other things that we sort of, um, you know, want to, to move in a different direction. So yeah, that's really, and I, I was just wanted to add actually that because it is really a funny anecdote, this whole uh, like work and the way it was exhibited. I remember very well that I, the exhibition was in June and I had to go to Lebanon uh, for the summer and to see my, my family. And I delivered the artwork and the exhibition just happened uh, in Montreal. And the curator messaged me and she said, like, people are really engaging with your work and they're finding it very powerful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's um, also something that I was uh, happy to hear that it that it happened as well yeah so encouraging uh, I, I love like stories like that it's like, very very empowering and i think that's sort of like one of the roles of the curator in my opinion mm -hmm. um but maybe, maybe we can uh, get into that more yeah. later down the line like talking more about curation um okay. and maybe this is a good time to jump into question two which is can you tell me about a particular artwork or moment in your practice that had a big impact on the direction of your artistic development so maybe it was a work that really clicked or maybe it was an aha moment that ignited a spark it sounds like we kind of were in that territory but maybe that you have like another similar anecdote mm -hmm. um so i'm actually going to answer this question based maybe based on the um, on the two hats that i happen to wear which are a video artist and sometimes a curator um so yes i remember that just before I come here in my last year in Lebanon at high school, um, I, I attended um, a talk by a video artist, a famous video artist from Lebanon called Akram Zatari. And he showed a work that he did, a video work, um, which was about, it's called Letter to a Refusing Pilot. Um, and it's about um, him writing a letter to the Israeli pilot that refused the order of bombing a school in Lebanon. Um, he just like decided to shift directions and bomb the sea instead of bombing the school. And the artist made a work about this, a video work. And you know, when you just like experience something and you have this enlightenment moment where you just get clarity over something it's when I saw this work it's when I knew that I wanted to to do video art or or become a video artist I don't necessarily want I mean he's definitely a filmmaker of course but the way I approach film and video is slightly different from you know the way um, other filmmakers who are very much embedded in the industry and the way it works approach it um so that's why i would call it more video work and uh, yeah it kind of just 
uh, like it had such a big impact on me that it's when I knew that this is what I want to do um, for life, hopefully. <laughs> and speaking of uh, curation, uh, yes, I also it was also maybe my second year in Montreal, and I went to the Fondation Fille. Uh, it was still called the HC Art. And there was this exhibition, this amazing exhibition um, by an artist called Jasmina Sibik. Uh, it was actually in 2019, so maybe third year, uh, called Everything That You Desire and Nothing That You Fear. And it was about the way um, nationalism and politics uh, are portrayed in the architecture of international exhibitions and how when a country approaches the architecture of an international exhibition, the ideology of that state is represented in the architecture and the way they conceive um, the design. So it was like for me, I'm maybe, you know, uh, I'm very inclined to like politically uh, engaging uh, works, whether it's through my artistic practice or my curatorial practice. And so, yeah, also when I when I saw this exhibition, I, I don't know, I felt um, I, I felt a very strong, uh, the strong power of uh, political curation, if I if I might call it this way. Um, and I also knew that this is kind of if I were to be a curator, this is kind of what I would like to achieve in terms of a discourse within an exhibition. Um, so yeah. Yeah, well, that's really wonderful. And it's um, one thing I'm observing is that in both of these cases, you were sort of like a member of the audience, like a viewer or a participant here. And so I think that that to me just really speaks to, um, you know, maybe your, your interest in, in video arts and sort of that relationship between the viewer and the artist and its ability to, um, inspire people and it's kind of an, a really interesting and unique connection with video art and curation in that sense because they both mm. involve um an audience in that way and sort of an experience from the from the video artist so yeah i think that's that's such a, a unique connection that i'm sort of observing um, yeah. Yeah. i never thought about it but it's uh, it's a great point yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's it's they're both experiences and, and with the political in there as well, it just adds a whole other layer, um, mm -hmm. which I, th I think that we'll probably get into that too. But maybe for this third question, we can shift gears just a little bit. And um, I wanted to ask if you've ever had a teacher or a mentor who is particularly impactful or inspiring for you. Um, of course, I had so many teachers at Concordia that were very inspiring. Um, I, I would say in terms of, um, you know, their fields of interest in academia and what they research about. And research is something that I could do in full time. Uh, like I, I love research, I love academic writing, um, but I also love to practice. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go to say that it is in school that I find my mentor, but maybe perhaps out, out of school and I will name them. So again, the two answer with the two hats. Um, so when it comes to, let's say, a curatorial practice, um, it's Eli Kerr, um, curator based in Montreal, um, who has launched, uh, like previously in the past, Vidange and now Park Offside. Um, yes, I met I met Eli when we I was preparing for Art Matters, 
and there was something our first encounter was was a message that he sent me asking me how things are going with art matters um and it for me it was at the very core a sign of care which is also where the word cura or curate lies and uh and then we had collaborated and after our collaboration ended he came to me later and he asked me if I was interested in being in residency at Park Offside. And so I feel that from this moment, um, we had exchanged a lot uh, on our practices, but of course he has more experience than I do. And I kind of along the way learned a lot from him. And his practice is very interesting to me in ways where it is very much embedded in, in film and video art. Um, even though he's, he is just a curator, but uh, the themes and the, the discourses around his um, curatorial practice, and of course not exclusively, um, he's interested in other, other things as well. Um, I kind of uh, learned a lot from him and even the fact, I would even say the idea that um, he, he ve he's very much interested in this idea of alternative, alternative space. Um, and not necessarily in like the institutional white cube uh, to initiate um, exhibition making. And I kind of very much feel um, represented by this interest because that's also where um, I feel I'm inclined, like not where, towards which uh, I, I feel I'm inclined. Um, yeah, I think there's, a lot that can be generated under this theme of alternative um, in terms of space, discourse, um, curatorial practice, because he, to me, he also does uh, have an alternative curatorial practice, even though I don't necessarily know how to define it clearly. But uh, yeah, he approaches things very differently and it's been um, like a great, uh, how can I say, uh, terrain to navigate around. Um, and when it comes to film, I would say it's Miriam Charles, uh, who's a Montreal-based Haitian um, artist, uh, sorry, filmmaker and documentary filmmaker. And I'm very much uh, interested in a documentary film. And I'm about to shoot my, my documentary this summer. And Miriam, the way Miriam approaches documentary is very unique to her, but she also manages to bridge fiction and not just documentary and kind of play in between these two genres. Um, and yeah, Miriam has been kind of my, like my secret angel, if I, if I may say that, slash mentor in a sense where she doesn't mentor me that in a way that is hands on, but she just keeps bringing my way opportunities that every time they come, I know it's Miriam who orchestrated it. And I feel there's something important about this at the beginning of your career as an artist to have someone who kind of looks over you, um, even if it's just from far, um, because I think they, they see some potential in you and that's why they feel that they, they could do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of lucky to be surrounded by both of them. Uh, and it's been very impactful to, 
um, yeah, to, to just uh, arbitrate around these figures throughout my practice. That's so wonderful. And I also really appreciate um, sort of like that you were, you were mentioning your, your teachers at Concordia and your mentors, but then also sort of looking um, at other people in the art milieu as well, because I think it really just goes to show how Concordia is like really just integrated into this art milieu in the city. And I think that's just like so wonderful. And it's something that um, I think is really a credit to our community. And yes, yes, mentors are so important and it is really like really, really important. I think for your development as a creator to know that you have people sort of in your corner. And I think that it's almost inevitable that you'll find your people, your mentors, I think. Um, you know, I, I think it just sort of goes to show that we all, I think, have these different potentials inside yes. of us and there's there's people who will see those potentials um 100 yeah, yeah. I, can, I can definitely say i've had like similar experiences um around the city as well um yes. so yeah that, that's just a, such a heartwarming story thank you for sharing of course yeah yeah i love that um so that, so that's maybe more like the positive side but i have this um this other mm -hmm. question talking about sort of the world <laughs> of art um you know it's very multifaceted and so i just wanted to know um, maybe if you've ever encountered some obstacles or barriers sort of in these institutions, um, if you've ever felt sort of blocked or obstructed on maybe a more personal level or a systemic level, yeah, it would be great if you could talk to a little bit about that. Um, I mean, it would be very utopic to, and ideal to say that I haven't, and I'm sure I've been, um, it's just that it was not in ways where it prevented me um, in extreme ways to achieve what I wanted to achieve. But maybe I would um, I would change the question and maybe let's say uh, answer in ways where I could probably highlight what I think are obstacles right now in the art scene um by not necessarily like reflecting from a personal direct example because i don't, don't have something specific on my mind right now but i feel like i mean there, there's a lot to talk about of course um but something let's say let's start with one um i feel that right now there's this um and of course like after black lives matter and um this maybe new wave of discourse around support and how to support that is emerging. Um, because there is like, of course, support for artists has always existed, but right now it feels like some art institutions uh, recently discovered new groups <laughs> and kind of opened their eyes uh, even wider to other uh like groups of minorities or um categories of artists which they've been i would even go to say that they've been kind of blind towards um but i wonder how much this support is actually constructive um in a sense where i'm skeptical because i feel like most of this support is only being uh, revolved around financial support by issuing grants that are, you know, exclusive for BIPOC artists or like this exclusivity around designing a grant that would directly go to a specific minority group. Um, and so I ask how constructive is it or how much are we gonna reach a change if we don't 
actually go to involve people of color uh, or artists of color in um, positions of leadership. And when I say position of leadership, I'm not necessarily asking to for us to be the next um, directors of museums or big institutions, but let's say just the board, you know, you, you like if we look at the list of board members in most of the institutions in Montreal um, and I am like hands on accusing some institutions right now, we would find out that not a lot of like most of the board members are white people. And so that, that that's why I wonder um, how are you able to conceive um, a generative and expansive change um, or a support program if the target people if the targeted people are not the ones designing these support programs or designing the vision behind the support um, so that's kind of what I urge um, some of the institutions to start um, looking into um, it's not about and that's that leads me to the other problem which is like again the problem of tokenization or the problem of um, oh let's just add some um, artists of color into our yearly programming and call it a diverse program. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, of course, it's very important, but how much, how far are you going in terms of um, understanding the stakes under which uh, or around which these artists are working? Um, so what else can I, what else did I want to actually highlight in terms of, uh, but that's, I mean, that to me is, not necessarily an obstacle, but something that I wish or think strongly think it, it should change. Um, maybe another obstacle would be this idea of cornering that goes uh, very strongly alongside the idea of exclusivity. I feel that most of the institutions, the way they, they think they are instigating a change is by creating these exclusive grants or exclusive exhibitions for artists of color, where at the end of the day, these artists of color are just being met with other artists of color only under the same roof. But then the question is, where is the bridge that you are creating between, let's say, artists of color and white artists? Um, like, why are we emphasizing even more this idea that, oh, they are cornered, let's just corner them even more by designing an exhibition where they will only be featured. Um, and I, I bring this back to me. Right now, I've been kind of feeling repulsed, you know, by um, applying for like an artist of color grant or being in an exhibition that is only by or with artists of color, because that's not that's not where I feel I want to be. Like, of course, I want to be next to my peers, but I want to be next to everyone. And that everyone is literally everyone, um, including white artists. And so I think it's kind of counter um, counterproductive to just end up in a room where you're all um, talking about the same thing and like each other, like we're I'm, I'm what I'm trying to say is that I think I'm right now I'm seeking to like coexist coexistence um which yeah I am a bit 
yeah, I'm a bit, uh, let's say, skeptical about it really be like existing in, uh, like in, in the scene right now. Um, and not, also, of course, like to be reductive and uh, accuse everyone, but it is there. And uh, yeah, there are some grants right now that uh, even goes far to have a like a title that is, you know, very much um, representative of, oh, that's a group of minority and we're going to call the grant based on them. And only these artists can apply to this grant. Anyway, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I wanted to say. Yeah, well, you've raised some really um, amazing points, like so much. I think you're really getting at the core um, of a lot of these issues. And yeah, you know, it's it's you were saying like institutions have been blind and it's like they're just waking up to some of these things. That's something that I've heard from a few other people that have um, been in this project. Um, it seems like a uh, sort of like a recurring thing that a lot of people have been noticing. And I think that there's definitely like a lot of frustration that comes mm -hmm. with that because it's like people have been raising their voices about these issues for like decades and decades and decades. And now all of a sudden these institutions are like, we're listening, you know, and it's and <laughs> paying a lot of lip service. And it's it's almost like, um, yeah. I, I don't know what to, what to say about that because it's almost like um, you're not really listening. Like you're, you haven't been listening and there's no acknowledgement of the failure. It's just like, they want to pretend yeah. like the last 10 or 20 years didn't happen. And that like now everything is, 100%. is better. I, I would even go far to say, even if this will sound quite harsh, harsh, but I mean, I, I think I'm privileged enough to be interviewed by you in ways where I don't feel like I need to filter my answers. Uh, but there's, there's a fetishization of care. Mm -hmm. right now and I, i'm calling it fetishization of care because everybody's looking at care at, as this like very uh glamorous concept um or like a yeah attracting concept um right now in the art world where everybody wants to kind of wear it um but you know it, it you can do this by still remaining at the surface and the process not being or becoming um, expensive again or generative for those that you work with. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that it actually also if I could just like offer like my perspective, I think it also like recreates that harm again when you say that you're providing this care and then you don't you only get at the surface level um, because at that point it's like you're involving other people in the project, right? Like it's not just something that you're you're not just like thinking of these grants in your head and then they happen in a vacuum, you know, it's like you're, you're inviting these artists who are real people into the space. Yes. And when things aren't done right and are not done involving, as you said, you know, mm -hmm. artists of color and queer artists and other groups, then you're, you're sort of just like recreating that harm and it's real people, you know, it's real people's lives. So anyways, yeah, I think um, it seems like uh yeah, you're really sort of like keenly aware of these of these issues and like looking a little bit beyond the surface level. And I think that's also like how, you know, a lot of these institutions are right, because, you know, the board of directors is not something that you see from the outside, you know, so these these core issues are beneath the surface as well. And we need to like really, you know, hold these institutions to task. And I, I can think of a lot of institutions. Um, you know maybe we don't need to name names but um, oh. <laughs> we're probably thinking of some of these these same institutions um but um yeah maybe maybe we can move on and this question is um it seems to me like we kind of we're sort of getting at this um and and so 
maybe we can sort of like be a little bit like flexible with this question, but um, yes. this seems to deal a lot with like the surface level things that we were talking about earlier as mm -hmm. well. Like a lot of these institutions which to pride themselves on being inclusive and having a diverse, the word here is like aesthetic sensibility, but I think it's um, even more than that, like just this like show of inclusion and like show of care. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so do you, so what do you think is like going on beneath, behind the surface, I guess? um yeah i i feel like maybe i had combined the answer of these two questions in, in my previous mm. answer but yeah um what i think goes be i mean i think what what goes beneath is the white guilt mm. um it's uh as you said like waking up to the past 10 years and what they've done in the past 10 years and feeling bad about it mm -hmm. and be like oh okay well let's compensate on what we did but I think that, um, and of course, that's great. But I think that in order for this to be um, like very much, I would call it of a learning experience, because I think that institutions are just learning right now. Um, they most of them think that they have learned, but all the events that happened or that are still happening to artists right now, navigating these institutions are showing us that we are still at the very beginning of the learning process and that no we are just starting to learn how to deal with these issues um and so yeah i was gonna I, yeah i was gonna say that you need to extend the invitation um to these artists uh, whether they're artists of color or they could just be like artists of from minority groups um for them to sit with you on the same table um because i feel like placing yourself always in the position of the listener um is different in when it comes to the actual support that you can provide then place like then bringing the writers let's say of these experiences and stories um into into the same room and just creating dialogue um everybody you know takes pride in this uh also act of creating dialogue and oh we're creating an a conversation or we're creating a bridge or we're um you know dialogue bridge conversation all of these things but i think that in most cases, these institutions are still um, remaining in the position of we're just looking at, as opposed to engaging with. Um, and there needs to be labor that happens in this process, um, which is, yeah, working, working with implies um, labor and I, I also don't want to say that because I don't want people to um, to think that the entire work should go on those who are suffering, um, because that's also not our job to teach these institutions how they should do it. But again, going back to this idea of coexistence, I think that the labor should be um, put together, basically, and, and designed together. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's mostly what I that's mostly what I think. I mean, I um, I wish 
to have answered in ways where I, I give an idea of what I think is beneath the surface, but I also, again, what I think should happen beneath the, the surface. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, yeah, really, really thoughtful answer. I think definitely when people, when these institutions say like, we're listening, um, we're listening, it's almost, it's almost just become like a broken record. I think, mm. um, we're listening to voices, we're listening to voices. And I think, yeah, there's a frustration in that because, you know, we know that that's not enough and that it's mm. not the end of the story at all. Um, yeah, it's definitely not the end of the story. And I think, um, yeah, these institutions seem to just be really dragging their feet. Um, yeah, so I guess maybe just as one final thing, I'm just thinking of a way to sort of like tie everything together. So maybe um, I'll just start by sort of summarizing sort of some of these observations that I've made because yes. I can see sort of um, like a, a journey for you where you said you were wearing these two hats all yes. the time as a, as a video artist and also as a curator. And I think to me, that's given you, um, or maybe it's a way of expressing like a really unique, um, a really unique perspective on the world of art and on institutions because you're thinking about how it involves people and what yeah. people's experiences are in a way, which I think is, is such a is such a core thing because again, when these institutions are so detached from reality, it's like you're missing what it's actually like for people to be involved. So yeah. it's almost like a recreation of harm. So yeah, maybe maybe that's how I would summarize um, summarize some of my observations. Is there any anything else you want to like talk about? Anything else that popped into your head? Um, I mean, no, not really. Uh, I just think that I mean, I do wish to emphasize the importance of art matters uh, in general uh, because I genuinely think that it had a big impact on my artistic career. Um, in general, when I first curated a show in 2019. Um, and then later became uh, a cultural worker um, who joined fellow cultural workers in the scene in Montreal um, as I was the exhibition coordinator at Art Matters. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's the, any first in life is very impactful on someone's um, like path uh you know a first teacher a first love a first uh, exhibition a first uh, uh, job um and i think that for artists in montreal uh art matters does offer this first and it is i don't think that a lot of people not a lot i mean i don't think that everyone is aware of how much this first has an impact on when you look at the artists who had previously shown at Art Matters and are now, you know, doing a great job in um, in general, I, th I think, not just in life, but yeah, in the scene and everything. Um, yeah, it's uh, important to, I think, foster this space uh, as a, by supporting it as a, as a first experience and to replicate it in other situations or or places like i think we need a lot of um, i recently joined the board of info Céline bureau which is a an artist residency based in myland and the like the whole mandate is to support 
or for this residency to be a first for these artists. And I think it's very, um, yeah, it's very important to be able to um, consider or take into consideration the fact that not all the artists are established yet and some of them are on their ways um, to become and we need to support them in this on their way to become you know um, i feel like sometimes institutions become well or most of them you know like are obsessed by supporting artists when they're at a certain level in their um in their career which totally makes sense because that's what a large big institution does um but i think that there there should be on like in parallel uh institutions or places that are exclusively or not ex i don't want to use the word exclusively but are very much attentive to early career emerging um artists and their practices and um everything that comes with the need of supporting them yeah I'm, well i'm so happy you brought up art matters um because i i feel like we both share this love of art matters of course um mm. And I think speaking of mentors, like you were a mentor to me too, because it was like I was a facilitator when you were the coordinator. And oh my gosh, like speaking about first experiences and pathways. I mean, I'm not the subject of the interview here, but I could I could talk for hours about how much of a wonderful experience that was for me. Um, I felt like I found my community. Um, that was in 2021 in the middle of COVID, where we didn't know if we were going to be able to have in-person exhibitions until what, two weeks yes. before it happened. So that was really really special um and i think yeah you were talking a lot about replicating experiences and so for me if i could just speak about myself for a little bit as mm. the as the coordinator of the festival my goal was really to replicate my experience as a curator facilitator for the next people because mm -hmm. um, it was it was such a special experience and i think it is unique um just sort of in the big wide world like it's it's such a unique festival it's such a unique experience it's an opportunity for first times it's an opportunity to like um expand your community expand your horizons um and also find mentors like i was exposed to a lot of mentors um throughout that process so yeah i think it, i think it's it's so special um and a really good chance for for us as like emerging cultural workers to Ooh. um really get this deeply formative experience as well so yes. Yes, thank you. I don't. I don't know if I. I probably did say thank you, but yes, thank you for 2021 all the way back then because that was so oh. so wonderful for me. <laughs> of course, no. I mean, again, congratulations to you and to the to uh, Emily and, and uh, to Maria, the and, and the entire, of course, team. It's not just the three of you uh, leading this edition. And uh, no, you guys all did an amazing job, and uh, it was. Uh, it's always nice to see the continuation of your work mm -hmm. um, being uh, fostered because I think that we did experience a lot of obstacles because of COVID and mm -hmm. it made us kind of rethink the festival again um, in ways where it would be more adaptive uh, to uh, states of urgencies. And it was important that uh, I'm able to translate this to you and how you can take that and make something um even more impactful hopefully with with it um but uh, no yeah congratulations again i'm looking forward to see the exhibitions 
Oh my gosh, please, please come see the exhibitions. That would make my heart so full. Of course. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think we can wrap up the interview here because that was such a nice note to end on, I think. Um, yes. Thank of you course. so much for your time.